We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 9. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are the philosophy of wisdom, divine wisdom. When you get to chapter 10, every single verse is a sermon, and it goes now to the particulars of wisdom. He has to convince you in the first nine chapters that if you're going to be a success in life, you have to be doing it according to the will of the creator who has it designed. And he's made himself known by his word. And that is your responsibility to empty yourself and go into it and to find the path of life. So the first nine chapters are an exhortation to turn away from the world and turn your eyes to God. Once we get to chapter nine, or 10, I mean, now we're going to go every single verse is a sermon and he gets into the particulars of wisdom. Now, I want you just to watch here in chapter uh, nine and remember that in chapter, and incidentally, we've got another harlot text here. So this is number four, okay? But in chapter seven, uh, Solomon talked about the harlot had a house that she had left, that she had um, food that she offered, that she had a summons to the naive to come to her, and that there was an end that he descends to the, ch- to the chambers of death. And so with the, the immoral lady, there's a house, there's food, there's a summons, and there's an end to her fellowship. Now, when we look in chapter nine, you're gonna see wisdom has the same thing. Wisdom has built her house and it is sturdy. It's on seven pillars, the number of divine completeness that the word of God is, Peter said, everything that pertains to life and godliness, all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Thy word is the sum of all truth. It is exceeding broad. It is a flawless Nova, the Bible. And so wisdom has a house and wisdom has food. She's prepared her food and mixed her wine and set her table. Wisdom has a summons. She sent out her maidens and calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, turn in here. He that lacks understanding, come eat of my food, drink of my wine, and then an end. Forsake your folly and live. The harlot's house descends to the chambers of death. Eat of my food and live and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Who in the Bible is it said that he is a cornerstone to the house of God? Jesus. Who in the Bible offers his body and his blood as true food? Jesus. Who is it in the Bible that summons whoever longs to drink from the water of life, come drink without cost? It is Jesus. And who says, I have your end in sight? that they obtain eternal life. And so it's interesting that with the immoral lady and with wisdom, there are two ladies with two houses and they end up in different places. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter seven, how Jesus ends that narrative? There was a man who built his house upon the sand and a man who built his house upon the rock. When you look at them, they look identical, but there's something beneath the surface that you don't see. Because one of them built his house with a mind 
that the wind, the rain, the floods were coming. And so there's an invisible something and it stands. The other house is just built for the human eye and it's gone. And so in Proverbs, you have two houses, the house of wisdom and the house of pleasure. I think personally, because you have four chapters devoted to the harlot, I don't think it's merely speaking to sexual promiscuity because so often in the Bible, it is replete in referring to, like with Israel, that they played the harlot and went after false gods. That in uh, the 17th chapter of Revelation at the end of the Bible, um, unfaithfulness is seen as Babylon, right after the flood in Genesis 11, you see that new world saying, let's make a name for ourselves and, a, and a build us a, uh, a city and a tower that'll go into the heavens. And so God struck it. And for the rest of the Bible, this fallen system after the flood is simply called Babylon. That means confusion because that's what man without God ends up in. And so when you come to the end of the Bible, you see a harlot that on her head is Babylon the great. And she offers to men the cup of her immorality. And so I think that the harlot here in Proverbs one through nine is not simply promiscuity. It is whatever is unfaithful to God. It is maybe sometimes a political system. It is a system of the arts, of philosophy, of education, of capitalism and money, whatever forsakes God and looks to itself. Are you with me? And so that's why before we go into the specifics of how to lead your life, we look at, just like the Sermon on the Mount, two houses. One is the, the house of pleasure and one is the house of wisdom. One's going to fall and one's going to stand. All right next generation. All right. And so if you'll look at chapter nine, like I say, in verse one and following wisdom has a house. Verse two, there is food. Verse three, there is a call. Verse six, there's an end to wisdom. Now realize uh, as Charles read up here at the beginning, when Paul was speaking to the Greeks of Corinth, he said, uh, uh, oh, how's he go? Uh, I was real good when Charles read it. Um, like I say, it was real good. It's about human philosophy. And he says to him, let's see, it was first Corinthians three. And it says, let no man deceive him. If any among you thinks he's wise in this age, that he doesn't need God, let him become foolish that he might become wise. What's the foundation of wisdom? Teach a man who knows that he does not know. You can't teach self-satisfied people. And then it says, the wisdom of this world, from Socrates all the way to the existentialist, it is foolishness before God. When man tries to go in his finite self and give you infinite answers, he can't do it. It's foolishness. Uh, let him, what is it? He is the one who catches the wise and their craftiness, that your system will come back on you and bite you. And the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. 
Whenever you're looking at the debacle of Russia, that's communism. And it started with a rejection of God by Karl Marx and then Lenin and then Darwin and then Hegel saying there was no final truth, truth was evolving. Darwin, there's no final truth in creation, it's evolving. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, in Karl Marx, there's no final, I'm sorry, yeah, in Karl Marx, there's no final political system. Uh, it is always evolving until it ends up in communism. And so all of them, all of those ideas that were the basis of Russian communism begin with the rejection of God and the embracing of actually German liberalism about the Bible, that the Bible also was a, an evolving book and there was no final truth. And so when you see a people that have no God get loose with weapons, they end up killing everybody. See also Nazism and all the rest. Uh, the 20th century is the time of ideologies. It's not Catholic against Protestant anymore. It's man against God, ideologies without God going against the Bible. And so here we see in uh, verse uh, nine, uh, rather, uh, verse, let's see, verse six. Here is the final end of wisdom. Forsake your folly. You have to repent and admit that you're an idiot. All right? And then you live. When you embrace the truth of God, you live. And then you start your life. You proceed in the way of understanding. Forsake, that is salvation. Live, that becomes conversion. Uh, proceed, that becomes sanctification. I remember when I trusted Christ as my savior, it was like all of a sudden everything got fine-tuned. I understood what the creation was, what man was, what evil was, what truth was, what the opposite sex was, what sex was, what marriage was, what kids were, what government should be, what right conduct ought to be. Uh, everything, I was blind and now I see. Amen. That's our testimony. It was like one of those, uh, Chris, those balls with uh, snow all in it. And it's always a blizzard until you set it down and then everything settles. And that's the way my life was. And so that's just what Solomon says. He says, forsake your folly and find life and then proceed in a brand new life. You know what I'd say? Old things pass away. All things become new. Amen. Isn't that simple? Lesson one, you're not God. Well, that's hard to fathom, but you're not God. Secondly, I am God. Thirdly, you can't know who I am unless I reveal myself. And so the coin of the realm is humility and need, read and obey. Done. There's your college education. And so he picks it up here in verse seven of why you have to forsake your folly. You can't just add the Bible to your present life. You turn from your present life to God. You die to what you were and you turn to God. Let him who thinks he is wise in this present age 
become foolish that he might become wise. You say bye-bye to it. And so uh, the reason is because in verse 7, you correct a scoffer, you get dishonor for yourself. You reprove a, a wicked man, you get insults for yourself that you can't take wisdom and come to a fool. Um, he will simply look at you and say, how dare you say to me that I need God, that I need wisdom, I need grace, that I, that I am hungry and thirsty for what I don't have. How dare you tell me that I can't make it without God? You ever heard this? I think Christianity is good for some people like you, obviously not for me, because I had a 3.2 grade point, all right, so I don't need God. And so he tells you in verse uh, eight, don't reprove a scoffer, he'll hate you, reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Quite often when you get good, solid Christians, wise people, they will talk about a time in their life that somebody got up in their mustache and said, you need to deal with this. And they did. And for the rest of their lives, they love that person. Thank you for coming into my life. You've heard me give the testimony many times of being in my room at North Texas. My roommate was 6'7", 270 pounds from Houston, Cyprus, Fairbank, uh, whatever. And a little guy came in and I walked in on the conversation to a 6'7", 270-pound man, there was this little guy named Jerry. He was like 2'1", all right? And he was talking to him about ultimate issues, God, morality, sin, heaven, and hell. And I walked in and sat behind him, and he says to my roommate, are you a Christian? You a he are you a Jew? Are you a Hindu? What are you? He said, I'm a Christian. What is a Christian? My roommate says what I would have said, somebody that keeps the Ten Commandments. You know what this little guy did? He rebuked him. Six, seven, two, one. And he rebuked him. And he simply said to my roommate, you keep them? I mean, all of them? You a virgin? You've never had a beaten by your parents for lying? You've never hated anyone? You've never cursed anyone? And my roommate was silent. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. God has shut up all in disobedience. Now my ignorant roommate's listening, but the handsome quarterback back here is listening over his shoulder. All right. The guy that made a seven on a genetics test, I'm listening to it close. And I didn't say anything either. I dare say I was better than him. All right. But next to God, we were all silent and it hit me. And then he rebuked us both and he said, the law was not given as rungs on a ladder for you to get to heaven. It was given as a mirror for you to see how dirty you are and that you need what came after Moses. And that was Jesus. It, the light came on. His name was Jerry Cook. I have told the story of Jerry Cook 10,000 times. He died back about 20 years ago and I called him out in Van, Texas and thanked him for what he had done in my life. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. And I did. My roommate became a bouncer in a Houston topless bar. 
he wasn't about to have this guy tell him about truth. And so that's why to come to God for wisdom, there has to be self-negation. Y'all ever heard of a guy named Mortimer Adler? I uh, know it all about education. He once made the statement that when a kid graduates high school, you shouldn't send him to college. He said, you can't teach teenagers. He said, they're not humble. I don't know why he would have said that. He said, they're not humble. He said, let them go in the military or get a trade. And then if they really want to, let them come back to college and learn where there's a place without uh, fraternities. All right. Because he said, you can only teach a humble person. You can't teach a self-confident person. They've said, got to see their need. And so that's, that's the entrance into the door is a hunger. That's whenever I have, and I'll do a couple of these fellows' funerals right here, always in significant Christians, they listen like second graders, like kids. They get up on the edge of their chair and they're wanting to know what does God have to say. And so in verse 9, give instruction to a wise man, he's going to be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase. So the coin of the realm to learn Bible is not brilliance. It is humility. God, I need you. You know, whenever in the Old Testament, uh, Samuel would come to a town or uh, uh, Elisha would come to a town, the prophet, the elders of the city will meet him and they will say to him, is all well? Are we okay? And Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he said, that's the way that every human should greet the word of God. When you come to church, when you open your Bible, is all well? Is there anything in me, God, that needs to change? Okay. And so that's the coin of the realm, humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek and broken. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for the essentials that they don't have. Righteousness, they will be filled. Theirs is the kingdom. They will be comforted. And so in verse 10, he says, here's the beginning of wisdom. It's not just a body of truth. It's a person. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. And he takes the covenant name of God, Yahweh, and invokes it. It's not just a G-O-D. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Jesus. It is, and the way he makes himself known is by the Bible. And so this is where wisdom begins, where you fear God. The fear of God means that I know that God ordains reality how a person should be in their body, soul, and spirit, their marriage, their morality, their relationships, their work ethic, how they handle their money, how they see evil, how they see redemption, and how they see death. From beginning to end, God is the origin of all things. Like Charles read to you, uh, do not boast in men because all things belong to you. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, they're teachers of the church, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. He is everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything corresponds to him. All things, the psalmist said, are thy servants. You can't separate God from reality. 
And so the fear of the Lord is where I know that if I get any distance from God, I'm a distance from reality and truth and life, and I'm in the dark. I've told you before about when I was in Russia and I had a translator named Galena, and she knew English and she knew Russian, and wherever I went, I was okay because I had her to give me the lay of the land. But if I got a out of eye shot of her, I had a panic attack because I didn't know where the banyo was, all right? I needed her to tell me I was lost without her. I was adrift without her. So I had the fear of Galena. I never wanted to get away from her. And that's what the fear of God is. I never want to get at a distance from God because he's the ground of reality. And if I get a distance from him, I'm a distance from marriage, morality, my wife, from true sanity. That's the fear of God. And I must face him someday. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the knowledge of the Holy One. Now you have understanding. If you don't have the knowledge of the Holy One, you can know about matter, mechanics, and uh, whatever, but you can't know meaning unless you know God. Now you understand the universe, man, the image of God, man, his fellow man, uh, evil, redemption, culture, truth. Now you're set and you can read anything you want to read and fit it into the matrix of the knowledge of God. And so in verse 11, by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added. That's probably a principle that you will not end your days through stupidity. One of the guys that was on staff with us years ago lived out on, um, let's see, what was the road? I think it was Colorado going down by the mall. He woke up one night about 2 a.m., heard the sirens going, heard cars at peaked out, and then all of a sudden heard this sickening sound of a car rolling, all right? Somebody had gone off the road. He went outside, saw the cop cars ar arriving, and saw a uh, car with three teenagers. They were out drinking. They, woo, they, siren went off, and they took off running. They flipped the car. They didn't have on seatbelts. The driver came halfway out and it cut him in half. And my staff guy said he arrived on the scene and he saw two kids in critical condition, one that had been cut in half and you could smell beer all over the place. He looked at him and they were 17 years old. What could they have been? We don't know because they cut their lives short for a spree at 2 a.m. It's called dying a fool's death. And so you follow me and you're gonna play it safe. And so in verse 12, is everybody sufficiently depressed at this point? Yeah. If you're away from the Bible, you're away from God. And if you're away from God, you're away from everything that is reality. They would say in Alabama, you ain't got a cut dog's chance. You're, you're a dead man walking if you're away from God. And so in verse 12, he says, let me tell you something about folly. He's told you something about God. Well, here's the house of pleasure. If you don't want the house of God, you're gonna have to take the house 
of humanism, where man interprets what is true. Is there a third house? Uh, he that is not for us is against us. You got to make a choice. Not to choose is to choose. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Wisdom and foolishness are seeds. And the thing about seeds is that when you cast them, they don't immediately come up. You cast them by faith. God has rigged it so that moral conduct isn't immediately rewarded or punished. Otherwise, the most righteous man would be the most self-centered. And so when you do righteousness, it doesn't mean you're going to quickly lose 10 pounds, okay, or grow hair. It's not going to happen. You're going to wait. Matter of fact, you can suffer for it. If you do wickedness, there's not going to be a meteorite hit you. But what it does say, even though you have the pleasures of sin, they're but for a season, the wage of sin, death. And so God's rigged it so that you have to trust him in moral conduct. It's a seed. And always, the second thing is the seed will always germinate. Generally speaking, it's going to germinate. It's going to come back on you. Uh, whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. It's coming back. And you will both, it'll come back on what it is. Barley will not produce wheat. A grape will not produce an olive. You're going to come back in kind. Evil will come back. Righteousness in time will come back. And it's going to come back in multiplicity. You sow one seed, you get back 30. And so whenever you do wisdom, you're wise for yourself. It's going to come back. When you do scoffing at the word of God, you alone will bear it. It's going to come back on you. I've counseled sometimes young guys that had this chip on their shoulder. And they were counseling Marlon Brando, all right? And I've said to them, son, remember where I am because you're going to be back here and because you're about to have a long, painful life. That'll be $50, okay? Because that's a fact. I can prophesy where you're going to be unless you turn this thing around. Well, so there is a likeness of your life is a seed to come back. In verse 13, incidentally, where did you hear this? Uh, he who sows, what is it? Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, the living dead. The one who sows to the spirit shall from the spirit reap life eternal, the life of God. And so the woman of folly and it's the Hebrew word for murmur or growl. She's boisterous. It's the idea of she is resistant, rebellious. She is liberated. The woman of folly, and it's the word, they growl. She's brawless, okay? She has rejected propriety. I am woman, hear me roar. And that's what she does. Uh, there is a sense of sin that it claims it is unshackled by the world. We alone are free. Do y'all remember? Well, if you were in the 40s, there was Benny Goodman and the big bands, and they were always on the album covers smiling. Count Basie, 
Duke Ellington, they were always smiling. 50s into rock and roll, they were just having fun. Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, and the crickets. They're always smiling because they're just having fun. When you get into the 60s, it's a, a philosophic change, existentialism, that we do away with God. And in the 60s, they're not smiling anymore. They're all in rebellion. We're the grateful dead. We're Jim Morrison and the Doors. You know why the Doors were called the Doors? It was from Huxley about you have to have new doors of perception. You've got to forget the Western Christian Judeo past and now man becomes the standard. So they were the doors. When you would go into People's Park in San Francisco, you entered through a picture frame that was called the frame of reference and you had to drop your ideas of God. Uh, hair was conventional. All of a sudden, everybody, you know, men just, I got a picture. You ever seen me in 1973? We got anything, Nate? Yeah, that was pretty much me. Do you know how long it took to get my hair that way? Because my normal hair is like an infected sheep. That's a lot of work with a round brush and a blow dryer right there. Isn't it beautiful? Well, I didn't, look, I didn't feel so stupid because everybody else looks stupid. The women all look like Russian wolfhounds. Just came down like this. <laughs> so, but that was the 60s. Uh, Dylan Thomas, a rolling stone gathers no moss. If you don't want to be mossy and stuck in place, you better be moving. And thus we had the group, the rolling stones. Uh, and on and on. Jim Morrison and the doors of perception. And they're all looking like we're angry, we're mad. Eric Burden and the animals. We have rejected all ideas of truth. Well, there's something about that that's very attractive until you try to leave it. One thing about all those album covers, they're all young. You ever seen an old rocker? You ever see Ozzy Osbourne? Book of Proverbs, okay. So wisdom, our, our folly is boisterous. It makes a lot of noise about how free we are. What was her name? Edna St. Vincent Millay. I burn the candle at both ends. It shall not last the night. But all my foes and all my friends, it gives a lovely light. Live fast, love hard, make a good looking corpse. That was the 60s. And so that's the way the woman is. Be free of the oppression of right and morality. Fly, little bird, fly. Who had y'all ever watched that great Christian show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? You remember the Carlton on the show? The black guy that was a white guy, all right? There's a scene, because Carlton's a virgin, and you see him at, at a door in a uh, hotel and a woman has seduced him and he has to make a decision to lose it or to keep his virginity. And he goes back and forth 
and a hand reaches out and takes him and he comes in and the door shuts and all of a sudden a symphony rises up and the crowd cheers because he is broken free of God. Isn't that something? And that's the way the world sees it. If you're going to find life, you better get rid of God. It goes like this. Eve, has God said you shall not eat any tree? From the tree of the trees of the garden, you can eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that you don't need God anymore. You can know good and evil in life and success without him. Okay. And the day that you eat it, you'll surely die. And then the serpent says, you will not surely die. That notion that sin is bad is a myth because God's word is not true and sin is not bad. And let me tell you why, because God is not good. God knows that in the day that you break free of him, you're not going to need him. And all he is, is a, an oppressive individual. He's a cosmic Nazi. And if you want to get rid of life that is sterile, you better get rid of God. And then you will fly, little bird. Don't trust God. Don't trust anything. The only one you can trust is, well, me, the serpent. And the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And she did. Well, here it's no different. Evil growls. Marlon Brando. What was the show? The Wild Ones. Johnny, what are you in rebellion against? What do you got? And so we're rebellious against all things. And so in verse 14, but in verse 13, she's naive and knows nothing. She's ignorant. She can't give you any advice that'll help you to make it. The book of Ecclesiastes says to the fool, he multiplies words, but he does not how to get to a city. He can, he's telling you about life, but he can't make it to Lake Dallas on success. And verse 14, she's the same as wisdom. She's at the doorway of the house and the seat of the high places of the city. Folly is easy to find. Can you find folly in the arts? Yes or no? Can you find it in politics? Can you find it in Canaanite News Network? Can you find it in the university setting? Can you find it in the marketplace? Wherever you want to find idiocy, you don't have to go far. Now, if you're going to find a wise man, that's a hunt. And so uh, evil, folly, breaking free from God, just turn on the channel. Just listen to the song. It's out there. In verse 15, she mocks the faithful, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. She's a temptation. When I was in seminary, buddy, did you ever have Norm Geisler? I had Norm. He was a Christian philosopher. And he said to us one time, at the time, my hair still looked much like this. Okay. And he said, whenever you read philosophy, he said this in 1978, when you read philosophy, young men, remember that there's not one static book of philosophy. There are volume after volume after volume from the Greeks all the way to existentialism because every single philosophy is declared by the next generation as wrong. That's why we have so many philosophies, so many psychologies, because they've been declared wrong. If you want wisdom, we got one book. 
but they've all been declared wrong. And then he said this, most philosophies are good for insomnia, okay? They're going to put you to sleep until you get to existentialism, until you get to Woodstock, until you get to San Francisco. It's the final philosophy to end philosophy because it says we're not going to find truth through reason because nobody can know and there is no ultimate standard for reason. So if you want to find life, don't look for God and truth. It's not out there. You are the mold, the cookie cutter of what is truth. If it feels good, do it. Do your own thing. And so he said, when you're studying, buddy, he said, when you're studying existentialism, that you determine right reality and existence, you essentially are becoming the devil. And he said, be careful because existentialism is seductive. And that's why it's done so well in our country. You don't have to think. You've just got to quit wanting rules. All right. Okay. And so in verse 16, whoever, it's the same exact words as wisdom in the earlier chapter. If you're naive, turn in here. If you lack understanding, come here. What is Satan called? The liar and the father of lies. It's interesting that lies imitates truth. It's like a Venus flytrap. There's life here until you get in there, and it's not. You remember Pinocchio? Butch, they take you away to the uh, pleasure island, and you can do anything you want. There's no rules. You can smoke cigars and shoot pool if you go to Pleasure Island. But what you don't know is that slowly and surely you're gonna turn into a burrow and you're gonna become an animal and they're gonna take you and put you to work in the salt mines. And so Pinocchio learns when you get rid of God, you're now in Russia, you're now an animal. Well, keep watching here. In verse uh, 17, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Carlton, come on in here. You'll enjoy it. Break free. Fly. Get rid of God. In verse 17, she offers freedom from moral rules. The 20th century has been secularism, atheism, naturalism, Darwinianism, uh, existentialism, pantheism, Marxism, Nazism, wokeism, and humanism. They are all atheistic, and they have led us into the century of blood. In verse 18, oh, you want know, you know another good movie? You ever heard of the movie Pleasantville? It's a black and white show. The kids watching it get sucked into it. They're in a 50s black and white world. And everybody in there is stodgy. I mean, you're among Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best, okay? And what you have to do to find to break out is you've got to get out of black and white. And the way you get out of black and white, what was it in the 50s when you watched television that you never saw? Sex. You never heard the word when Lucy got pregnant with little Ricky. She couldn't say the word pregnant. You never see a couple in the bed together until Bob Newhart. Did y'all know that? Uh, we don't know what... Uh, 
you know, leave it to Beaver's parents. We don't know how they were conceived. I don't even think they had a bedroom. All right. Rob and Laura Petrie, Dick Van Dyke, slept apart. Something changed. And so in this show called Pleasantville, the way that you get the world to be in color is you lose your virginity. And as soon as you start having sex, you begin living. Sound familiar? That's what it says here. Stolen water's good. Sin is good. In verse 18, this is the ultimate end. The dead are there. The guests are in the depths of Sheol. You know, years ago, I made a mention about something. I said, this is going to happen. I said it way back when. And uh, once again, I was talking about a movie called Gremlins. You ever watch Gremlins? Okay, I saw it at a homeschool convention. In Gremlins, there's a little creature named Gizmo, and he's real cute. But the guy that sells him to you says, don't feed him after dark and don't get him wet, because he's going to start reproducing. Gizmo, there's no female Gizmo. He's on a hermaphroditic Gizmo. All right. And so he's going to start reproducing. Sure enough, he eats after sundown and he gets wet. And out of him pops little balls of fur and they're little baby gizmos. And they start growing into other gizmos. And they just see him pop out of him. Gizmos. But when they start opening up and becoming mature gizmos, they're nasty gizmos. Gizmo is like a real nice gizmo. But after they start coming from him, each generation of gremlins gets more and more evil. And then they start reproducing. And they start reproducing until finally the town is taken over by these gremlins. And they're not cute anymore. As a matter of fact, the last gremlin is called Stripe. He's a punk rocker. He looks like Mick Jagger. All right big streak down, and he will eat your face. And they end up burning down the town. And I watched this, and I said, that's our day. Whenever you take gizmo, whenever you take secularism, humanism, atheism, Marxism, socialism, and you get rid of God, Nazism, every ism-ism and spasm, that gets rid of God. If you'll generally, when they start, they're an ideology working under Christian morals. They still want to try to bring about righteousness through their own ways. But each generation gets farther and farther and farther from God. And I said something to the effect that someday I could have said, you're gonna choose your own gender. Someday we will kill 60 million infants in the womb. Someday we will declare homosexual marriage is a biblical valid marriage. Someday we will turn men into women and women into men. Someday we will virtually end women's sports by transgenders. Someday, and, and, an internet, and this is the whole world is like this. I don't know if you know it. The whole world no longer fights Catholic and Protestant, Arminian and Calvinist. It's now ideologies of capitalism, communism, Nazism, existentialism. It's graffiti on a wall of shame. 
And so this is where we are today. There is one place that is the house of wisdom. It's built upon Christ. He gives his body and his blood as food. He has a summon to come to him to the feast that will end in the wedding supper of the Lamb and life everlasting. Amen. And that's called the church. And that's why after I watch the news every day, I always watch it for about 12 to 15 seconds. I immediately get in my Bible and to find the book that shows where the universe, man, evil, redemption, the Messiah from the line of Israel that the shepherd saw that died and rose and gathers his elect and is coming again someday. That's Genesis through Revelation. And I read it continually and it keeps whispering, this is the way, walk ye in it. God hasn't had the last say, but I've read ahead and we're gonna win. Amen. We're gonna win. So don't be seduced. So next week is Easter. We'll have something special, Good Friday, Easter. Then we'll turn to chapter 10 and we're all gonna feel bad because he's gonna now, once you've got your Bible in place and reality in place, he's gonna say, now, students, take notes. Here's the way it is. So we're gonna have God get us like a Dutch uncle and speak the truth to us. Father in heaven, if there's a man or a woman here that is poor in spirit, that says, I can't do this. If there's a man or a woman here that is mourning because they're heading to their own funeral, if there's one here that is meek and is broken and they're convinced I'm not smart, I'm not righteous, and I'm not strong, if there's one here that knows they need to be right in the sight of God and they hunger, I pray that you would lead them to the wealth and the bounty of Christ, that in him the wisdom of God is made clear, the word of God is made audible, the image of God is made visible in Christ. In him we have the house of wisdom and the great foundation, and Lord, might they realize that this same God who created and gave his law became one of us. And the son of God became a son of men that sons of men might be redivinized and become sons of God and might change into his likeness. And so I pray that in this world that has gone mad beneath the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that energizes sons of disobedience the God of this world, I pray, Lord, that they might escape the snare of the devil, as Paul said, having been held captive by him to do his bidding. Summon them to the one opening to the fold of the sheep of God, and that is the outstretched arms of Jesus. The temple of God, after you pass that turnstile of the sacrificial altar, you had a door that was 30 feet wide. The arms of God opened to all who would come and be washed and fed and illumined and in your presence. So might God, they turn this very day to the living Christ and receive him into their hearts as Savior 
and to know life everlasting when we'll ask it in his name. Amen.